hear from Ozone Podcast. I like to listen to people talk about things. So here's a really good network for people talking about things. It's actually called the Discussing Network because it's people talking about things. Enjoy! What's that? It's a graveyard. You promised me a beach. The ground feels strange. Oh, 2020-ish? Yeah, the ground beneath our feet was bioprogrammed to attack. Is it monsters coming? Have you met monsters before? Yeah. They're scaring me. I'll gladly die for my cause with every stinking ape should be wiped from the surface of my beloved planet. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start out by welcoming back Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? I'm doing great, man, and as always, happy on another episode of Discussing Who. Yeah, man, so glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, glad to have you back, and glad to have also Mr. Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? Very good. Very good. Glad to be here in the, the right number of pieces and because uh, uh, they took my left arm off and put it back on again. And uh, You've been upgraded. So I have been upgraded. Uh, the bandages come off on Friday and we'll see how, how cyber I am. Oh. I don't know yet. Well, but, um, speaking of cyber, you know, being, yeah. I would say that's online and I know, you know, <laughs> we just love mentioning something. So is there anything, something we love mentioning that you have maybe updates on? You talking about relativity? Yes, cool. Okay. Relativity. Yes, we, we we are enjoying the triumphant return of the audio drama serial Relativity. You can find out more about that at relativitypodcast.com. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. We I, As we're recording this, uh, episode 52 is out, and I am really happy because that means the next one is 53, which in my humble estimation is the best of the whole series. And it is oh. all about Sophia. Awesome. Oh, Clarence, it's, it's now been so long. Clarence may not even remember, but people who, who are fans of Clarence need to tune in because it has some great moments for Clarence's character, Marcus. Yeah, it's just a great episode all around. So that will come out. What is this? What is today? Today is 28th. 28th. So it'll come out on the, will be seven days. So that'll be on uh, July the 34th. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm sure that's right. Well, Clarence Brown, anything going on with you lately? Oh, man, I'll just mention real quick that I finally have jumped on the Hamilton bandwagon to finally watch it after all this time, after all these people have been talking about it. And I've been very much enjoying it. Yeah, really? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, we're And gonna... I'm not going to say I told you so, but I did tell you so. <laughs> Well, I will admit that I was slow to get on the bandwagon myself, but, and I admit I haven't watched it all, but I'll tell you something else. And since we don't have any news, and this is kind of Doctor Who news related, but back from, mm-hmm. I'm going to tie it into 2017 news and say that this gentleman was rumored to be in the running for the 13th Doctor at the time, that right before Jodie Whittaker was named the 13th Doctor, and I think betting was pretty much saying, if I remember correctly, that it was a go 
And I will tell you, as you guys know, and I may have mentioned it on a previous episode, I have been binging a series called Death in Paradise. Mm -hmm. And I am to the point now, Chris Marshall and his character that he plays on Death in Paradise, uh, Humphrey Goodman, is about to leave. I'm pretty much feeling in the next couple of episodes. And I will tell you, this guy would make a fantastic fantastic brilliant amazing doctor interesting yeah yeah i thought you were going to say lay-manuel miranda was still being favorite it's not british okay no no i mean i'm not saying he couldn't be the doctor i'm just saying yeah this guy is just have, have either of you seen death in paradise no no i have not all right well he is the second chief inspector that is, you know, on this island, on this show that's with this team. And his character reminds me of, oh, he's a combination, I would say, of 10, 11, and maybe even a little bit of seven, if I would have combined huh. his doctorishness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he seems like a bumbling idiot that is like so brilliant. And he, he just screams doctor-ish to me very interesting so you see all that from a guy playing a detective okay <laughs> i'm just joking yeah, it right. sounds cool <laughs> it sounds cool uh, you know there's just something i don't know he's just and he's ginger so hey okay. hello that alone all right well gentlemen quick question do you have anything else before we get into our review don't think so all right uh, well gentlemen I only have one other thing to say to you, and that would be for anyone listening. If you have not seen The Hungry Earth, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Hungry Earth. This is the eighth episode of the 2010 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 22nd of May 2010. It starred Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor, Karen Gillan as Amelia Pond, and Arthur Darville as Rory William. I will also note that this episode was written by Chris Chibnall. Lee Shackelford, summary view. Well, it was, it's fun to find out what's going to happen in the far flung future year of 2020 <laughs> in this episode. One of the clues that somehow Chibnall knew is that this episode has the line, I'm the doctor. I'm going to remove your mask. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah. I really, I, I remember that I love this, uh, this two parter, uh, way back when. And, uh, I, I was just glad to look at it again. So yeah, I've, I've always loved it. And, um, I got my quibbles. I got my, my problems with it, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk about those in time. What about you, Mr. Brown? Uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. Of course, you know, this is just part of the complete story, but I, I enjoy it very much. Enjoyed the first half of this, you know, one, another in the checkbox were, um, literal titles here. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, y'all know, I appreciate the more I watch of Doctor Who and these titles are on the nose because, um, compared it to the last season of Discovery, none of the titles made sense. I mean, I guess they do if you're some liter, liter, literary nut or something, which I'm not, but you know, these little, little, little pea brain of mine understands the earth eats people. <laughs> <laughs> the hungry earth. <laughs> I will go on and say that 
this is one of those again, and I know I've said this before that I don't go back and watch often. And I'm watching this and saying, why don't I? It was much better than I anticipated because again, I don't really remember much about this because this may be maybe the third time I've watched this particular story. And I'm saying that I can't see why I haven't watched it again. It, it was enjoyable. And the only joke that I had to write that's similar to what Lee said was I wrote down even the Silarians in the year 2020 know to wear a mask. <laughs> that's better. I want to ask before we get to 2020, I want to ask about Chris Chibnall. And I made note that this is written by Chris Chibnall. So Clarence, I want to ask you, did you feel the same story feel of other things that Chibnall has done through this, or did it just feel like any episode of Doctor Who? Well, I did not know it was written by Chibnall. <laughs> wow. So it better be no. <laughs> I, I definitely did not um, feel, it didn't feel like his latest stuff with Doctor Who. I'll just say that. I feel there were a lot of human moments in in this. So I guess that could be a little Chibnall, especially at the very beginning of the episode. But it still felt very grounded in this era of Doctor Who. So, um, no, I, I had no idea. Yeah, it seems very um, Stephen Moffat to me. Uh, graves where, you know, if you open the grave up again, the coffin and the, pe- the person in it isn't there anymore. That's that's total <laughs> Stephen Moffat, right? <laughs> and, and and there's a, a, a correct quote from Sherlock Holmes in here, which we know yeah. is Stephen Moffat's wheelhouse. So, yeah. But no, it's Chris Chibnall. All right. Well, let's get back to 2020. So my question on 2020 is, and Lee, I'll point this one to you first. Mm. And I may be, and I may void my question just FYI before I even finish asking it. But I'm curious in your opinion, does this show take a risk of setting the future so close to our own? For instance, this was 2020. And it was 2010 when this was broadcast. But as I'm writing this question down, do we void it? Does this question void itself with a show that is almost 60 years young and eventually it's going to catch up? So what do you think? Should they have an episode so soon to the future? It's, it's always problematic, isn't it? But I guess, um, part of what's happened in Doctor Who up till now is that time and again, we've, we've had, you know, alien invasions that are allegedly taking place in the present day. So, and then there's a reason there turns out to be an explanation why we don't all know that, you know, so we can continue to pretend like this is really happening. And, you know, and if you're Donna Noble, it all happened. You just didn't notice, you know, uh, spoilers. You no, we already did that. You were asleep again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And, um, and we'll find out that Amy has a really good reason for not remembering you know, the Dalek invasion of Earth and things like that. So, um, no, yeah, this show, this show's kind of got its own way out. You know, it's, it's original Star Trek that, that painted itself into a corner by saying that there was a third world war in the 20th century and then we were <laughs> taken over by warlords. Um, uh, I don't remember any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Which they still hold true to. Yeah, that's it. They're, <laughs> they're, they're sticking with it, but, uh, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm glad that didn't happen, but yeah. <laughs> So what about you, Clarence? Do you, what are your feelings on setting something so near but far? And, and do, do you have a, do you think they're riding in a corner or do you not even no. pay attention? It, it, 
it, it, it doesn't even matter here. Uh, whereas Whitley's Star Trek example, or you can take Back to the Future, the fact that they're not showing it's only 10 years. So they smartly didn't show a future that was vastly different from what we have now. I mean, it's believable. You can, except for them not knowing about COVID, it could be 2020 for the most right. part. Yeah. So, but so there, there are that, no flying cars. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's no flying cars or hoverboards. So, I mean, I guess we're okay. And you know what? If it were not for Lee bringing the attention to the fact that it was 2020 and his comment to us in our chat, I don't think I would have gotten the fact that it was that far in the future. Now there is the scene on the hill where you see Amy and Rory on the hill and, you know, the doctor and Amy and Rory have the conversation. So there, they do acknowledge there's a time differential there, but it didn't feel any different. So help dumb Clarence out here. Do we uh, ever revisit the reason why they were there looking? It probably happens in the next episode. I just don't remember. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. Okay. I'm not but seeing. We were talking on another episode not too long ago about, we were saying, do, do we ever in Doctor Who show something that is a time travel incident at the time when it would subjectively have appeared and then later show the people going back to that moment? And, and here is, in fact, spoiler, the answer that yeah. this mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do not remember these episodes at all. (laughs) And it's going to set up the episode that will come after this when we get there next week because of something that happens in this episode will play into something that Amy is doing as they walk along a path in the next episode to the next episode, the next episode after. <laughs> I'm glad I know what you're talking about. <laughs> In that case, this is brilliant. <laughs> yes. So speaking of Amy, I got a quick question. What did you guys think of Amy being taken hostage so soon in the story? And Lee, why don't you take this one first? What did you think about Amy being held hostage and taken off the board for the most part so early in the story? Hmm. Is she? Um, or I guess, I mean, is it so early in the story? Um, it, it, that all feels right to me because um, we have a lot of characters and we want to treat them all as being very important in this story. It's one of the things I really admire about this script is that there's nobody in the story who's not important. Sort of making sure that we know that Amy is somewhere else and we hope she's okay. It allows us to focus on Elliot and his mother and, uh, uh, well, and Alea for that matter. And that's all important. So I think it's right. It feels right to me. All right. Clarence, what do you think? I, don't, I, I think it set up a lot of great moments. First of all, since we just saw Amy and Rory as we first started the episode, looking on at themselves, don't we kind of know she's going to be okay <laughs> from that? I mean, other than being one of the well, you know, yeah. title characters of the show. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's that same thing again. It's like, well, I guess... Yeah, but same thing for Rory, you know. So, I mean, yeah, we've yeah. seen both of them up there on the cliff, so we know both of them are going to be okay. So, but but I will say what it what it really did provide was some great moments between the doctor and Amy and the doctor and Rory, where the first being when she first gets um swallowed by the hungry earth and then the doctor's just, you know, trying to console her, trying to hold on, which he fails at. And then the second moment when when uh, a, uh, doc, the doctor and Rory 
uh, meet up again. And, you know, Rory's like, where's Amy? You know, <laughs> so just just two great moments that were, were predicated off her being, you know, gone for the rest of the show. Yep. I'm going to agree with both of you, in my opinion, because my opinion literally is both of you. I agree that there were a lot of characters in there and it did give character development, not having Amy sort of be the centerpiece because she would be the centerpiece kind of if she, you know, was there with the doctor because she's the companion. I do believe that this was needed mainly, in my opinion, to establish a relationship or a camaraderie more so than what we saw last episode was with a, and the last couple with more of a kind of almost adversarial, but not between he and Rory. I think this kind of just allowed them to develop their friendship between the two of them. And I really, really, really liked that. Mm-hmm. Just a side note. I, like that they once again Murray Gold is using his musical talents and they're playing repeated tunes as they often do in this era. Oh, and yeah. the uh Amy and the TARDIS playing that's the name of the song that was playing as she's being taken into the ground. I thought that was so so cool. Uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was gonna bring up a similar thing when the doctor is having his first conversation with Alea and it becomes clear that uh, Alea is not going to say, hey, you're right, let's all sit down and talk this thing out, that we're going to have to do something else. We don't know what yet. That uh, what the score does is it reduces that I am the doctor thing to one instrument. And I think it's like a, a cello. So it's just this one lone thing going. It's, and it, you know, it, it's like, it's like the bomb has started ticking. I just, I love that. Yeah. And, and, you know, me who usually is not paying attention to the score, <laughs> I will say one, one part really caught me where they're playing the upbeat doctor theme, the dun, 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 dun. Yeah. They're playing that. And then when Rory asked the doctor the question, where is Amy? They like immediately flip and go to this somber, I don't know the name of the theme, <laughs> yeah. but it just instantly strikes that emotion. You're feeling everything Rory's feeling at that moment. And the, you feel the weight that's on the doctor to, you know, try to get him a good answer to what's going on. So yeah, I, great stuff. I think that is, we love you, Murray. I think that is called, I think if I remember correctly, that, that particular piece is called the life and death of Amy Pond, mm-hmm. which is called Amy's theme. Uh, but that's the Amy's theme dash the life and death of Amy Pine. So, um, but yeah, I agree totally, totally, totally with everything you guys just said. So my next one, since we brought in other people and we're talking about other people, let's talk about all of the other humans before first, before we move on. So Clarence, what were your thoughts of the character Nazarene, the older lady that is the scientist that is basically bombarding herself into the TARDIS. What did you think of her? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot to say other than, um, you know, she's a scientist. She, you know, it was working. Well, I guess she's a scientist. She's working on this project to drill further to get more resources. But um, I really loved her fascination with the doctor and how this has been her life's work to drill to, to new depths. <laughs> and was given the opportunity to go, you know, where she would, wouldn't be able to otherwise, she basically inserts herself as, you know, companion by the end of this episode to get in the TARDIS. So 
I, I really thought that was cool and I loved her passion to explore. And uh, I think she said that everything the doctor has said so far has been right when she was questioned by, um, I think it was Tony. So, yeah, I, I thought her character was greatness. All right. Lee, what did you think of her? I'm so glad because this is the, the actress here is Mira Sale, who is a, a fascinating, fascinating person. And it's, it was, I think it's kind of a coup for the show to, to get her. Um, she's a, a very accomplished uh, talent as a golly. She's a playwright. She's a singer. She's a producer. She's a fun. She does drama. She does comedy. Uh, she, she wrote a, a book that's famous in the UK, but, um, you can get it here called Anita and Me. And it is, really kind of autobiographical it's about her growing up as uh, as somebody who is uh, obviously asian in this very white mining town and about how and how she imprints on this uh, this white blonde girl and you know it's like this is who i really want to be and and the story is about her huh. uh, coming to really accept embrace and rejoice in who she actually is already you know so it's happy story but anyway, uh, and fans of relativity may be tickled by the fact that I, after seeing this episode, I started checking her out and getting interested in her is the origin of Captain Sedana on the relativity, oh, the offstage character. Interesting. Yeah, there you go. And wow. let's not call her the an older person because she is the same age as me. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, I'm older too. But yeah, she is, uh, Anyway, I, she's just a fascinating person, the actor. Now, but yeah, talking about the character, I just have to echo everything that Clarence brought up. And I think uh, Clarence called out all the right points. It, there, very often the doctor will encounter people who are doing something like, uh, you know, <laughs> digging a hole straight, uh, 12 miles straight down and uh, 20 miles straight down. Whatever. And, and they won't be, you know, they, the doctor will not be listened to because these people are single minded. And as p- passionate as she is about all this. And as mad as the doctor sounds, she recognizes the sound of an intelligence greater than her own and respects it. Yeah. And the doctor senses that in, in her, too. And so, I mean, he wouldn't have let her in the TARDIS like that otherwise. Mm. And I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's a great character. And it's something that Chibnall gives us is this gift of, of one of these uh, ordinary people that the doctor immediately recognizes is not so ordinary. Yeah. And I love that Tony knows it, too. You, you sort of look at him and you wouldn't think he'd get it, but yeah, he gets it. <laughs> so God bless him. So she is unique for me and I will tell you why she is unique. Well, first let me say this about the, you said this was a coup that Dr. Who got her. Well, I think in her eyes, it would probably be a coup that she was on Dr. Who from oh, my reading that I have read about her was she was a childhood and lifelong fan of the show, and she was actually campaigning to be in some shape, form, or fashion associated with Doctor Who. So I'm sure the actress was quite happy with this particular role, if everything I've read holds true. Oh, yeah. That being said, as far as the character goes, you know, Doctor Who as a series for the entire series have been peppered with these one-off characters that people would say, oh, if this person could have just been a companion. And there are many instances where there's, you know, there's the character that was in Voyage of the Dam. There was character Mm -hmm. in that was the jewel thief. There is a character 
in an upcoming Christmas special mm-hmm. called Shauna that I remember uh-huh. that everybody was on about. Yeah. And the God complex. Yeah. Yes. And I wasn't on about any of them. And this character, however, the way she portrayed herself and the way the character just kind of gelled with the doctor in those few moments, I was like, I wanted you to be a companion. I, 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 there was just something about her that made me interested and wanted or wanting to know more. Mm -hmm. So kudos to her. For creating yeah. that type of interest. So let's go on. You, you guys mentioned Tony a little bit. So let's talk about Tony, Ambrose, and Elliot. And Clarence, I'll let you go first. Any thoughts on the the father, the mother, and the grandson? Well, I'll, I'll first talk about the grandson and the father, who we only see briefly at the beginning of the episode until the very end there. But um, the, I just love this moment at the very beginning where the father, it looks like he's teaching the son how to read, and they're reading the Gruffalo. I've never read it before. I guess the kid's yeah. book. But, but man, I just, I just felt like that was a moment that they really took time to articulate. That was it. It wasn't necessary, but it was. <laughs> it set this tone between between them two, and just you know, had me thinking of my kids. And I, I just really appreciated that in the episode. Is as far as the rest of the family. I don't know. I really love Tony. Um, I'm trying to think, was there something that Tony did that was really significant? I think he's kind of just there for the most part. He does have a moment where, um, I guess when it's time to, um, uh, actually face uh, Alea and he mentions dissecting, which I found very interesting at the time. And then, even more interesting by the time we get to the end of the episode to see what's going on. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, it did strike me as we, we talk about a lot how when an alien species come to earth is the first thing we want to do is, is tear them apart and, and research them and dissect them. It, it felt, I guess it was fitting, but it still felt weird that that's the first thing that came out of his mouth once he heard about the, the Solarian. All right. Any thoughts on the mom? Uh, not particularly. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't have anything from her that really j- just jumped out at me. But what about you guys? All right. Lee, what say you? Well, I, I like her very much, and I, I feel like she's one of these um, people who has always had to be the strong one, you know, that that situations have been presented to her that, you know, just this this actor, the way she just carries herself and the way she speaks is sort of like, okay, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to solve this problem. And comes this terrible moment when Alea says, I know which one of you is going to kill me. I remember that my eyes immediately cut to her like, yep, you'd do it, wouldn't you? Mm. So we will see next week (laughs) because Tony's already said, why aren't we cutting her open to see if we can find her? So it sounds like it's going to be him. But I and you know know. what? I don't remember. I I do not remember and I'm not reading ahead. Mm-hmm. I have no idea which one killed her and I, or if someone killed yeah, her, if. but because I honestly completely do not remember. I do know I'm a hundred percent opposite in my liking of her though. At this point, mm. I, there's something about her character that is off putting to me. I don't like her. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not saying she's not anything what, you guys just said, I'm just saying that there's something about her character that I find 
off-putting. Now, Clarence, when you said what you did about the scene between Mo and Elliot, so we're setting the beginning of the episode. So we see this parental figure, which is Mo, and the child or his the child in his care doing something in this case reading a book where he's teaching the child something or trying to teach the child how to do something as you were saying that and i'm thinking chris chibnall wrote this i'm seeing grace and uh oh what is his name graham grace and graham with ryan on the mountain trying to teach him how to do the bike at the beginning of the episode yeah so cool parallel there, considering mm-hmm. both were written by Chibnall. Striking that emotional moment yes, from the very indeed. beginning. Yes, indeed. So it's, it's a great storytelling sort of shortcut to to tell you uh, what the relationships between characters are and um, really give us a sense of how we should feel about them. To to have somebody showing somebody else how to do something and to and because you can either show them being impatient with the student and fed up with them. Or you can show them taking their time and listening and being helpful. You know, yeah. so we'll learn a great deal about that character just by watching the way they do this. So oh, yeah, Chibnall knows. Yeah. That is actually good because you look, think about how much you learned about all three of those characters with Grace, Ryan, and Graham just mm-hmm. in that action or interaction between and I'm, I'm i'm picturing as i'm sitting here talking i'm picturing grace saying don't you throw that over the uh, ledge <laughs> you know? right. all right so lee i want i purposely want to point this one to you first um because this is bringing back the silurian mm-hmm. and i just am curious to know what did you think and t- for anyone listening who may not be familiar with classic who Tell us a little bit about who are the Silurians. I don't know if there's much to tell besides uh, what the doctor reiterates in the story. They were here before we were in uh, adventures going back as far as the third doctor. They've uh, they've come up to the surface and said, hey, you know, this is our planet. So get off. <laughs> when we saw them last, they had three eyes, one right in the middle. And I've read that in in the design for New Who, that was abandoned largely because they felt like that sort of belongs to Davros. Oh. And so we kind of wanted to uh, uh, b- break that up a little bit. And we had to deal with the fact that some of the science wasn't right to begin with. That They, they talk about when they come, f- what period in history they came from, and that's not really the Silurian period. So <laughs> the, the, the doctor uh, makes a, a remark about that and calls them Homo reptilicus instead. Um, but yeah, they, they were the Silurians. And, um, and the doctor has already had an experience of humans interacting with the Silurians that ended really badly for the Silurians. Mm-hmm. And he regrets that. That's something that's from Classic Who. And we know he regrets it. So uh, even though it isn't name-checked in this episode, us fans of the of classic who will have to say, boy, he's got to want to get it right this time. As far as the de- design of how they look now, I'm Googling some pictures and look at the previous design. Mm-hmm. I will say that this new design, regardless if they had an old one or not, it's a really great costume work and design that they're doing here. I really think this is one of the best alien looks that they've had in new who even yeah. now. I just oh, think it's, it's so great. 
Yeah, I think it absolutely is. It's a it's a great great look, and uh, the actor here is Neb McIntosh, who wears it so well that we'll bring her <laughs> back as a different character. Yeah. Uh, so spoilers. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, as a different uh, Silurian character, but sh- uh, it, it is one of the things that I still claim as one of my quibbles with uh, um, this two parter is that I really I loved seeing them. I loved seeing that mask. And then I was disappointed when the doctor took the mask off. But it's another one of those things where when I when I say out loud what my problem with it was, I think, well, no, that was probably the point. I, see, I love the fact that the the eyes on the mask look like the eyes of a lizard. But then oh. we take the mask off and she has the eyes of a human. Interesting. You're right. Do do we think the mask is there just to kind of push it closer to canon? Uh, yeah, a little yeah. Bit. yeah, I think so. And, and so, but, but, you know, the idea of the mask, yeah, it doesn't seem to serve any story point other than that. So I thought, well, gee, I just wish, I think I wish that they had kept a, a lizard eye on the, you know, what they actually look like, but doesn't it limit the actor's expression range? Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't it distance us from her? And make us keep reminding us that she's a cold-blooded reptile. Um, which, but you see what I'm saying? That's a good thing and a bad thing. We, yeah. we, for, for story purposes, we want the audience to be saying, well, you know, actually they've kind of got a point. They were here first. Yeah. And for, for you know, that matter, and, and I don't think you look it's, her in the eye and, but well, I don't think it's mutually, you know, I don't think that you can, I think all Silurians exist in my head. Meaning those mm-hmm. from the seventies and the sea right. devils, the, the, right. the, you know, the water based Silurians. Right. I think they still exist. I think the seventies version still exists. We just haven't re-encountered them again. And this is another, ver- you know, offshoot. I still say they're all, you know, of the same race. And I'll go back to thinking about the first, um, season of Star Trek Discovery spoiler that you had the, redesigned look of the Klingons and you had different looks for different factions or, you know, different offshoots of Klingon. Yeah. So he does mention this clan of, um, Solarians, the doctor does. So, you know, I guess there are different clans out there. I don't know. I buy it. Yeah. I, I guess my problem with that is that, I mean, we all, we, we each look different from each other. Thank goodness. But very, very few of us have uh, eyes like a snake. (laughs) <laughs> so while there's a lot of variety uh, in the human race, there's not that much <laughs> yeah. not like that. So I just, ah, uh, but we oh, don't. So this is our chance to write a backstory about how come there are these, uh, human eyes. We are assuming that all Silurians that we have encountered, yes, they may all, and maybe that's just what their species of subset of Homo reptilia does is go into hibernation. We don't know when in hibernation they went. So if you look amongst the evolutionary ladder, they could become not from just different subsets or different clans or what have you. They could also be from different time periods. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, including vastly different time periods. Yeah. <laughs> Still. But, but you know, but you, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying though about, about the eyes in just in sort of storytelling terms. Oh, absolutely. That yeah. It, it, 
it does something for us emotionally when he takes that mask off and, and there's a second where we think, oh, she's a person like me. Yeah. Let's let's sort this out. And if she looked like a snake, you would not have that. But I still thought it made more sense for her to look like a snake, so I don't <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it. So Well, yeah. here's something that I do know I uh, that I think we both know how we feel about it. And I'm going to propose the next time we do a batch of classic who that I want to review a serial in the name of Doctor Who and the Silurian. And specifically because, why, Lee? Oh, because uh, that's where you and I met. Absolutely. So I did a little bit of research this evening, and I actually found something that I have not seen since January the 18th of 2015. And I'm going to read just a little bit of it to you. It is sent at 9-11 p.m., January the 18th, 2015. It is from a gentleman by the name of Louis Trapani to a gentleman by the name of Lee Shackelford and another gentleman by the name of Kyle Jones. And it says, I think you guys may know each other to some extent, being that you may have both been on the same live show of Doctor Who Podshock on a few occasions. If not... Lee, this is Kyle, and Kyle, this is Lee. Now virtually shake hands and be nice to each other. <laughs> I think we've been nice to each other. Yeah, pretty nice. So, yes, and that episode was Doctor Who Podshot 322 from 2-3-2015. So, wow. just a couple of days yeah. ago. Yeah, takes you back. Yeah. All right, so let's go back to the story itself. And, you know, we've talked about the humans and we've mentioned the Silurians and we've been talking about Alea, but let's talk about Alea as the character. So this is the first female Silurian that we have seen and I'll <laughs> we ep- guess <laughs> yeah, that, that we know of that we guess. Yeah. Right. And I'll kind of echo what Clarence said. I'll go even further to say not only was this very well done, I think this is by far when you look at reimagining of former Doctor Who villains or monsters or, you know, characters, I think by far the new Silurians just like jumped leaps and bounds over some of the others because they, I just think it worked. The look for me just worked. But as the character of Alea, what were your thoughts about this warrior that is basically now held captive. And Clarence, why don't you go first? I think the most interesting thing about the character of Alea is that she sees herself being caught as a possible catalyst to the eradication of all human life. <laughs> she considers herself to, 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 to be a martyr or a would-be martyr if, if, um, if one of the three people watching her actually go through with what she's thinking. So, I found that very interesting that she's, you know, kind of willing to be served up in order for a greater war for people whom the doctor thinks are just a, a few of them. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I found that all very interesting. Uh, hey, Lee, what say you? Yeah, it it, it makes me think um, I'm, I'm not a herpetologist or, <laughs> you know, I don't. Um, but I, I think about how, how insects um, have these um, specialized tasks, uh, different kinds of ants and so on. And. They, they don't, um, they don't say this, I'm not cut out for this life. I think I'm going to go be something else. You know, that's, that's for us. Um, 
I, I think so. I, I love this sort of reptilian idea that she's a warrior and that's all she is and that's all she knows and that's all she can do. And so when the doctor says, look, we're going to talk about this. And she says, no, we're going to come up to the surface and wipe all of you vermin off the, the face of it. That's what's going to happen. And, 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 and it's chilling because you realize, well, the, we're talking to the wrong person. <laughs> it's yeah. part of the problem yeah. here. <laughs> you know, can we not say vermin? Some of them are actually very nice. Yes. <laughs> so here was my problem with the character. She, being the actress, does such an amazing job to me as Madame Vastra that I could not spoilers. get over the fact. Yeah, spoilers. I could not get over the fact that she was not Vastra. Uh, and I kept comparing the nuances and the differences, which there were. There were many of them. They were, they were a complete different character. But because I like Vastra, I was so... Not obsessed, but enthralled in trying to see the differences that I didn't see the character for the differences. Does am I? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So maybe and next for, time and, and, I, I, <laughs> I, I might will get it more as a character. But this time I was all invested in. Oh, you. Oh, oh you did good. That's no. Oh, that's so not Bastra. Yeah, and, and I kind of think it goes back to Lee's point because the characters, the character looks so humanoid that. You, you're not instantly repulsed by seeing the character. And it, it kind of being able to peer into the eyes kind of puts you on their side a little. <laughs> you know, you can relate just a little. Um, so I didn't, even though I knew she was, and it, well, at least she said her people were hell bent on killing these people who, who have awoken the warrior class. Um, I, I never really felt all that threatened <laughs> because it, it, it's just a relatable design because it's so humanoid looking. It looks almost like a Star Trek uh, alien or one of the more yeah elaborate ones. But but yeah, that's that's really my point is that they they re- in making this design. And I've read a little bit about the making of this episode because for a lot of reasons. But but one of them is about the the discussions they had. They really started out with the the classic series. Silurians and sort of said, okay, maybe we don't want to do that. Let's take out the other eyeball. Let's, you know, and, and they kept making it more and more and more human until they got to this. Mm. So they, they were, they were by degrees sacrificing the things that might be off putting in favor of these things that would help us as an audience to get on her side. And I, I don't, I guess I feel like maybe they went a little too far. Maybe in my opinion. I, I but I, yeah. It's either that or just the brilliance of the actor. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. When you're when you're sculpting, you know, on a <laughs> uh, uh, if you're making a maquette of Alea, it it doesn't have Nev Campbell in it, right? That, that, Nev Macintosh, not Nev Campbell. <laughs> um, yeah, it it doesn't have the actor in it yet, and she's going to bring so much to it that it changes the work that they've done. Yes, it does. And I'm sitting here yeah. trying to remember, and I don't think we have. But we, I don't think, have ever seen another Silurian since this reemergence that is a female Silurian. Now, of course, we've seen, you know, the males, but I don't know if we, and we may next week. But I think Neve McIntosh is the only non-mask female Silurian that we've seen. Until in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Alea. But, but, but the, her, impression as a actor you know has impressed upon us 
what we see this character is what you guys have just said. I'm just yeah. basically restating what you've already said. Well, and, and props to Chris Chibnall, too, because he could have named her Vrich, you know, but he calls <laughs> her Alea. Yeah. So yeah. just saying. <laughs> so here's a question. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, I don't think, here. But my mm. question is, who is the aggressor? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's really the brilliance of this script. And and it happened in the, the third doctor's time, too. It's like, well, they were here first. And they were sleeping peacefully. Now they were sleeping until they could take over the earth, but that's, that's a different <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they didn't do a thing. Okay. So when we say looking at taking over the earth, manifest destiny, mm-hmm. the, gr- the great British empire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, no, and it is, you know, we can't get through, um, you know, um, the human nature and family of blood without without talking about that, too, because those boys are being trained to go to Africa to put down the rebellion. Well, if you know the history of that, why were the Africans rebelling? Because they've been flipping invaded. Well, yeah. No, but they called it the rebellion. Well, <laughs> they were minding their own business until you showed up. So, yeah. yeah. So, so here we go again. Clarence, any thoughts from you on who is the aggressor? Um, well, it's kind of up in the air with this one. I think in the last episode when we brought that up, it was more clear cut that, you know, um, they were there to do evil or do bad. But here, you know, they were, like Lisa, they were minding their own business and, you know, they, they, they awoken the beast, <laughs> released the Kraken or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a little more, um, muddy in this case so to speak yeah so to speak <laughs> and, and it's worth pointing out that the that the drill project is it's a scientific expedition this is not the military where they're not trying to make a big gun they're they're just trying to find out what's down there so you know there, there's no there's no malice intended but they did drill into the silurian city so anybody who's ever trimmed a hedge and hit a uh, a hornet's nest knows <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what you were intending. Yeah. This is, this is what you're going to get. This is what you get get uh, from their point of view. Yeah. All right. So speaking of point of views, I have one question before we get to our favorite quote and favorite scene. And that is, are there any points that you two guys wanted to bring up that we have not hit upon? And Clarence, I'll start again with you. Any points that you had that we have not hit upon? Yeah, I have two. The first was I thought it was pretty brilliant, and I don't know how they did it. Did they actually go uh, wait to film at night? But when the dome closed and it got blackened and covered, they instantly went from daytime to nighttime. So however they did it, I thought it looked really freaking cool. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I would like to know how they <laughs> – did they wait 12 hours or yeah. whatever? Yeah. But I thought that was awesome. Right. And also – the doctor puts on some glasses, some shades, and um, he sees these things. Um, he sees the infrared through them. So I wrote down in my notes, sonic shades, question mark. I know it's not, but I couldn't help myself. Uh, yeah, he was thinking about it. He was trying. <laughs> Those were the prototypes. Yep. And he resisted. <laughs> All right, Lee, did you have anything that you have not brought up yet? It's funny that as much as I enjoy uh, many things in this script, and of course I'm very happy that Elliot has been listening to uh, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and and was impressed by the fact that when you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, enough to remember it. Um, one of the, the the thing I wanted to talk about was um, 
a a production thing. Think of how many times in movies you've seen somebody uh, go down in quicksand or or something like that. Uh, do you ever think about how did they do that? And, and I know that sometimes you, you you get the game actor who will just go out there and sink in quicksand, which is actually a lot more rare than we were led to believe in growing up in the movies movies that I grew up with. <laughs> I thought quicksand was going to be a bigger part of my life, but um, but this thing of um, of uh, first of uh, Elliot's father and then of Amy going down into the earth um, is genuinely terrifying. Um, but we feel, we know that the actor's safe, right? Yeah. But how did they do that? And the truth is, I just love this. Um, they were very concerned with Karen Gillan being as much in control of it as possible. So they built this, this platform that has, um, a, a sort of a rubber membrane on it and there's a slit and she's up through the slit. And then they, they pour dirt in all around this. Now she's got, they've got her ears stopped up and it's a prosthetic. So that's like, not like they just put cotton in there that that's all stopped up and maybe her nose too. I'm not sure. I couldn't do that for very long anyway, but, um, she and Matt Smith are up on top of this platform and she is going to control how she sinks by lowering herself on the platform by, by just by bending her knees. So she she's in charge of it, which is which is really great from an actor's point of view. She'll decide when she gets to the point where her nose goes under the dirt and so on. Um, but, yeah, so that rate of decline and everything, that's that's her. She's deciding all that. But she really is going under the dirt. Now, when she gets the instant she gets out of shot, of course, she'll be under the <laughs> the dirt and in the air and she could, you know, people can come and wipe her down and so on. So she'll be OK. But my golly, it's really convincing. And uh, but I just think uh, what I was reading was talking about the great care they were taking so that this actress would be comfortable with this thing that's so very uncomfortable. And all of us who are fans of the Marvel Universe movies, you just have to think, oh, Karen, you have no idea what's what's ahead, <laughs> what's waiting, what's waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah. You go ahead and get comfortable with this because you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But um, but yeah, it is a it is a chilling effect, and um and and she the performer really is the one selling it because she's she's in no danger at all the actor, um but it sure is uncomfortable. See that yes. might have been how she got the role. They could have said, you know, have you ever done any you know st- oh I've done my own stunts for instance I've done exactly. what you just said. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how she's kind of transitioned into sort of an action star, at least in the American movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With yeah. Marvel and then with the, uh, um, Jumanji. Yeah, Jumanji. Yeah. So yeah, good for her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very good for her. And what is also very good and Clarence also, well, you know what? I've been starting with you for the last two times. I'm going to go back to Lee Shackleford so he doesn't yeah. feel like I forgot him. So glad. <laughs> Lee Shackleford. I feel that. Question for you. You, yeah. you decide because I haven't pointed things to you twice in a row. Do you want to do first favorite quote or favorite scene? You decide and give me your favorite quote or favorite scene. That's easy because it's the same. I love that interview where the doctor just sits down to talk to a lady. And it's the thing that I am being reminded of as we're watching through these episodes. Um, Matt Smith had his 27th birthday while they were filming this episode. So he's still a kid from my point of view. But the, 
the reason why he was cast, everybody involved will tell you, is because he had that ability to project, as Amy says, because you're nine. You know, he did seem like he's <laughs> a child, but he can also, in an instant, become 900 years old. And this is one of those moments where he sits down with her and he makes flip banter for a little bit. And when he sees that's not getting anywhere, boom, now he is the Time Lord from Gallifrey. And and it leads to my favorite line, which is the last part of this conversation. Um, he says, oh, I do hate a monologue. Give us a bit back. How many are how many are you? And she says, I'm the last of my species. Here's an interesting idea. Doctor says, "Really? No, last of the species. That's the Klimpari defense, as an as an interrogation defense. It's a bit old hat, I'm afraid. So this is something he's heard elsewhere. I love that. She sticks to her guns. I'm the last of my species. And here's the line: No, you're really not, because I'm the last of my species, and I know how it sits in a heart. So don't insult me. Let's start again. So good. Tell me your name. Yeah. So yes. good. Great." All right, so Clarence, why don't, that's my favorite scene and favorite line. All right, so Clarence, <laughs> why don't why don't we keep the, going along this line? Why don't you give your favorite scene and favorite quote? Oh, mine's not that impactful. Well, let, let me do my quote first because I think my scene is better. Um, <laughs> so Tony says, "You're not making any sense, man." <laughs> to which the doctor says, "Excuse me, I'm making perfect sense. You're just not keeping up." <laughs> so you know that's Matt Smith being Matt Smith. I thought exactly. it was great. It's one of those lines that you we really love it when he says it. It's not one you want to use in conversation every day. Yeah. Yeah, he can pull it off for some can, reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my favorite scene is when things are going to hell in a handbasket and Tony and Ashreen kiss. Yeah. To which she says, Tony. <laughs> and he just says, like you didn't know. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Like you didn't know. All right. So mine are not as thoughtful as either of yours. And I will say that I am so glad that I wrote down two quotes because my quote was actually, I'm making perfect sense. You're just not keeping up. But <laughs> luckily, I wrote down a second quote because I just like both of them. So my favorite quote then is going to be, you only sought what you went looking for. And I, I don't know. I just yeah. really, really like that because we do that. You know, absolutely, that is what we do. Yeah. Absolutely, we see what we want to see and what we we find what we are only see what we're looking for. So cool. That's my favorite quote. Favorite <laughs> scene is, and again, this has no deep meaning other than this was one of the few times that I've seen something that just made me grin from ear to ear because I was like. Lee's going to like this because they're quoting Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> it's true. So that was my favorite scene was when I was like, where have I heard that before? And then he says, sir, and I was like, oh, and oh, then yeah. I wrote down, okay, this is my favorite. He's he heard it on audio tape. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He was dyslexia, which didn't stop Einstein or Da Vinci, did it? Uh, and that is another thing. I'm glad you said that. That is yeah. another thing that I noticed about Chibnall is he likes to take something that maybe is not as known to to the wide breadth of people. Like uh, I know dyslexia is more known, mm. but a lot of people don't yeah. know what dyslexia is. And then yeah. with Ryan, you know, his well, we all ran to look up dyspraxia. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So kudos on that. All right, so final rating, and I'll start this one off. Final rating, I, I'm going to give this, you know what? I'm going to give 3.75 
Silurian warrior mask as my <laughs> rating. So 3.75 Silurian warrior mask. Lee Shackelford, what say ye? I'm going to give it a solid four mile long tongues. <laughs> okay. Clarence, what say ye? I'm give, going to give it four infrared shades. <laughs> awesome. 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 So we do know this is part one of part two. I mean, meaning there's another part coming after this. And I'm looking forward to that because, like I said, I do not remember the specifics of how it ends. So I'm actually looking forward in a little bit of, you know, anticipation to finding out how this ends. But we know how this episode ends and how every episode of Discussing Who ends. It ends with me asking a final question, which is... Clarence Brown, where might you be found on the internet? Um, I'm just going to say, people, check me out on social medias. I'm <laughs> at Wood and Ball. Don't ask me to spell it. Um, <laughs> everywhere. Well, so if you want to spell it. Yeah, um, W-U-D-A-N-B-A-L. There you go. And if you want to follow some craziness, I guess. I'm not too crazy, I guess, on social media. No. But check me out where we I kind of I talk about the different stuff that we talk about on our various shows. I might tweet about it. So definitely check me out there. What about you guys? All right. Lee, what say you? Yeah, I, I know crazy on social media and you're not crazy on social media. <laughs> think of what the, where the bar is. Got to get them followers, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we've already pushed relativity here, so I will point people towards uh, our Facebook group, which is uh, the Discussing Network on Facebook, right? So it's just Facebook.com slash Discussing Network. Well, it's slash groups slash, slash groups slash Discussing Network. Yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I just I just not any good at it. <laughs> well, you know, I know we've already searched in the groups. For there, there you go. Even better. Even better. Very cool. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. We're glad that you're here, and we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre. They've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audible trial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that?